you this morning. Um, we are going to, uh, in this thing, we're going to be running through a lot of scripture. We're going to be starting in Job 38, and we're going to have to, we're going to do a little bit of running this morning, but it's good. There's a lot, you know, a lot of content for you this morning, but I want to start here. There was a moment in my life where it was an end of one season, the beginning of the other, and usually in transitional times, you get real scared. You're excited and scared all at the same time. I had left the position I was at at my last church, and we knew God was calling us to take a step of faith and enter into an unknown period of ministry in which we were going to heal and go to different churches, we were worship and speaking. And I tell you one thing, it was like, it was like, it was, I, I, last Sunday happened, this was Monday morning. And I woke up and I was like, what did I do? And I, my heart was just heavy and broken. And my father-in-law asked me to take a ride out and check on their place in Pine Mountain. We were living in Macon at the time, so I got in the car, and I drove a couple hours over to Pine Mountain. I had lunch, checked on the house, everything was good. And then I went up to this place uh, on top of Pine Mountain. It's where FDR used to go and picnic. Yeah, the president. The little White House right there. And I went up there, and I took a bunch of books in my bag. So I'm like, I need to read something. Something's got to jumpstart my spirit this morning. I had my Bible, and I had some other books. And I don't know if you, I just can't decide what to read. Sometimes I bring, like, you see me with a lot of books, I'm not usually reading all of them, okay? I'm going to read one of them, and probably a couple chapters out of it. And this book, God used in my life, the book is called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And he said something in chapter 3 that I just want to, I'm not going to read the whole book, okay? That's how it's going to be. Everything like great. Can't be done. I, I want you to hear these words from Packer. What, he asked the question, what were we made for? To know God. Don't trials make us go, why am I here? What's the purpose? And he answered, it was, just, it was like it was like the Lord speaking directly to me through an Anglican minister who's like 90, okay? And he just says, what were you made for? And the answer is to know God. Then he says, what aim should we set ourselves in life to know God? What is eternal life that Jesus gives? What is it? It's the knowledge of God. And he backs it up with scripture. John 17, 3 says this. This is eternal life, that they may, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing God through Christ. And then he says this, what is the best thing in life? Bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else. Knowledge of God. Jeremiah 9, 23, 24 says this, this is what the Lord, this is what the Lord says, let not the wise boast in his wisdom, or the strong man boast in his strength, or the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boasts about this, that he understands and knows me. Wish you could have been up there with me on that mountain. But awkward because I didn't know any of you. But I, I was about to come out of my seat at the picnic table. I was like, that's what life is about. It's knowing God. It's finding the light in him because that delight far exceeds any other thing ever. And you know, we've been going through Job. This is our fifth week of Job, and you're thinking, 
We're talking about intense suffering. How does that talk about knowing and delighting in God? Well, I want you to know this. Our sufferings, because our God is sovereign and good, our suffering and trials are not pointless. They provide for us a fertile ground for our thinking about God to be corrected and to experience his companionship. In trials, in times of suffering, everything in our life is turned upside down. You know what, you've seen a snow globe before? You know what I'm talking about? When you buy, like, you know, someplace here, they have them in Florida, which I don't know why they have snow globes in Florida, but they do, okay? You go to Florida, and you get a little snow globe, and you shake it, or you go to, you know, you go out to Colorado, and you get a snow globe. They're not too much fun unless you shake them, right? Then we'll have, ooh, it's snowing, okay? I want you to get this. The trial and suffering in our life is kind of like that. It becomes interesting. It becomes a fertile ground when we go through suffering, trials, and pain because God works in those times to correct our understanding of who he is. And our understanding, and in understanding and walking through him in these times, we also experience his companionship and his goodness to us during that time. The Bible says in Romans, and that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I want you to know something. There are many of you that may have had a religious experience devoid from knowledge. That is not what the Bible talks about. Religious experience, experiences of God's grace, experiences of God's joy, always are preceded, if they're true and legitimate, always have to be preceded by truth. So God wants to dramatically change your view of who he is so that you can experience him and know him in a way that is true and right, and, and it is a way that is intense and real. How do we how do we come to that? Oftentimes, our sufferings and our trials are the most fertile times when we have our thoughts about God corrected, we have our hearts moved, and we know God's presence in those times and we know his companionship. I don't want to just tell you that. I want to show you that. Because Job 38 begins, if Job 38 is the end of men's talking. Remember what happens? Job's gone through this whole thing. He's lost everything, and he doesn't understand why. So Job and his friends get into argument. So the whole book, basically, up until chapter 32, is him, Job and his friends arguing about why Job was going through this. They were all saying, Job, you're having problems because you sinned. Job was saying, I may have sinned in secret, but or something I don't know about, but I have not actively sinned against God, and he declares his innocence over and over and over again. And he also, at the same time, he just goes, God, I don't understand why you're coming after me. Verse 32, or chapter 32, there's this guy, a young, hothead theology student, that just goes, everybody, I'm angry, listen to me. Okay? And he gets up on his soapbox, and he tells them why everybody's wrong. Job, your friends are wrong, because they can't convict you of sin. Job, you're wrong, because you're obviously a sinner, and I'm right. Then that pompous airbag shut up. It's verse 38, the final words are spoken. Verse, Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, Let's not just get past that for a second. Let's look at it. Human voices are answered by God. Now, if you were thinking, 
Why a whirlwind? I want you to think about it for a second. Why would God appear in a whirlwind when a wind, a whirlwind, a storm, a mighty wind is what brought the house down upon Job and his family? There is not a coincidence here. This is a whirlwind. And he would have had some traumatic stress by thinking about a whirlwind. But it's not just this powerful, mighty thing. It is also an intimate voice of God speaking. Because, you know, Job's been declaring, Oh, God, if I could just stand before you, if I could just stand before you and plead my case, if I could just hear from you, God, where are you in my trials? Have you ever said that? Where are you? And he answers out of the very same type of thing that took out his family. He answers through a whirlwind. Have you ever seen those shows where they, people are trying to go tornado hunting? Like, not like, you know, like people who are scientists, okay? Not just like, I'm going to follow that thing. Have you ever just looked at a tornado on the television? Or maybe you've seen one in person? They are mighty and they are powerful and they are awful all at the same time. They, they induce severe awe and also severe terror. Those big world days. So don't, don't read over the Bible and miss this. God speaks to Job out of a whirlwind. He sees the might and grandeur of God, and yet he is also terrified. But then this intimate voice speaks to him. And if we had a character of Jesus, or God, God of the Bible was some, 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 you know, little tiny man, we would not see what's coming next. Verse 2. Who is it that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? That is a very flowery way of saying who is speaking foolishness without any knowledge. You weren't expecting that, were you? Unless you read this before, you might want to jump God going, Job, what? Been through a tough crowd there. He starts off, whirlwind, he speaks. Now don't get the don't get the fact that God doesn't care. If God didn't care, he wouldn't speak. But he wants to know, Job, you're not like me. We're not the same. So he speaks, he says, who is this that is spouting foolishness about me? And then he says this, not expecting this, dress for action like a man. Put your big boy pants on, Joe. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. I've got some questions for you. I want you to answer me. He's talking to a whirlwind. <laughs> He's hearing these voices. Job's looking up. God's like, hey, you think he's got Job's full attention? I would. Hey, put your big boy pants on. I'm going to ask you some questions. And I want you to answer me. Let me go on in verse 4 of Job 38. It says this. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I created the earth? So what happens here? And I want you to not press this too far because he's using this is the whole book. Uh, except for the first two chapters and the last chapter, it's all poetry, okay? So he's using some poetic devices, and he is talking about the creation of the universe here like the building of a building. So if you're building a building, what would you start with? A foundation. And so we ask this question, Job, were you there when I laid the foundation of the earth? Were you there when I started building this puppy? Were you there when I spoke, let there be, and boom, there was? Were you there? And he's probably thinking, <laughs> Tell me if you have understanding. 
And he goes on in verse 5, who determined its measurements? And surely you know. Or who stretched out the line upon it? Who measured the world in which I created? Verse 6, on what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone, when the morning star sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy? For so, shouted for Joey. Hey, Joe, were you there when I made the earth? It's kind of like that question when you were a kid that your parents asked you, and you knew they knew the answer. And if you were having that, it was running through your head like, how can I answer this and not get a whooping? Okay? Hey, were you there when I made the earth? Do you know how big it is? Do you know how grand it is? Do you know how many ecosystems there are? Do you know how, how, how many seas there are? Were you there? When I created molecules and made those molecules become things, were you there, Joe? And then he goes on, and he makes this. Then he See, God has two speeches. The first one, he wants Joe to realize that he had nothing to do with the formation of the earth. And that the created world is far exceeds Job's mentality to understand or Job's ability to understand. So if you would, we're going to rock it. If you want to go check this out, we don't have time to read the whole thing. But we're going to go down to verse 31 of Job 38. And he says this, and it's been a series of questions he asked. And then he asked this, can you bind the chains of Pallades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you leave forth the Maseroth in their season? Or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of heaven? Can you establish their rule on the earth? And you're thinking, what is he talking about? He's talking about constellations. And he says, Job, look at the sky. You can, can you control Orion? And now, now that we know some, some things about God's universe, those stars are light years away. Can you control the heavens and how they move? Went to the science museum. Judson in Nashville. It's a cool place, man. And they had a whole part of it is devoted to the planets. And they have this, it's a holographic representation of the sun and how the earth spins around it. In the course of the year, it spins around at one time, but during the days, it spins around that creates our days. So if you're on the bright side, of the sun at this point, you face that it's your daytime, and then it's night, and then as you circle, you like that finger, and then when you circle the sun, that's a year. Do you realize the forces that are working right now to make sure we live, and that we have gravity, and that the tides move? It's related to the moon. And he said, "Could you just think about the stars for a second? And he starts pointing out these different constellations. They would know some that we don't even know today. He talks about one called the Maseroth. We don't know what that is. Someone tell you they do. They're lying to you because we don't. And he says, do you know the ordinance of heaven? Do you know how all the heavens are set up, Joe? We know more about it now, but there are things still unknown. Nebulae and stars and galaxies far beyond our reach. There's galaxies upon galaxies. All this happens. Again, I can imagine this whirlwind speaking, and he is just completely dumbfounded by these questions. And he goes on in verse 34 Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? 
Can't you send forth lightning that they may go? And to say, here we are. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? And who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the, when the dust runs in a mass and the clouds stick together? He asked the question, are you controlling the rain? Could you make it rain? I'm not talking like making it rain like that, like money, okay? <laughs> so you're like, yeah, God, make it rain. It's not probably that type of church, all right? So the, the idea is, can you make it rain? Oh, if you could, would you let it rain on your day off? Unless you had those infinite time to nap? No! That's <laughs> right. Let's rain when you're napping. Did you make it rain? you make it not rain? Do you control the lightning? Do you control the weather pattern? Do you think that would be the case with these hurricanes coming? Do you control the weather pattern? Would you? Do you have the knowledge to control the weather pattern? Do you know that cold fronts from Canada affect our weather down here? It's unbelievable to think the question is asking, do you know how the earth is operated, set up, and were you there, Joe? No. He wasn't there. And you can see, I mean, I, even just in your mind's eye, in the sanctified imagination, you can imagine the, his feet kind of moving around in his sandals, all right? And he's getting that sway, that nervous sway, like, I can't answer these. And then he goes on, he starts talking about the created order and animals that were made. And he does, this is one, if you want, the Bible is full of Okay, sometimes we read it like it doesn't have anything funny to say. But they, they're, God has humor. Jesus showed it. There's a thing about the speck and the log in somebody's eye. If you think about it, how, that's the Three Stooges episode. Somebody's got a plank sticking out of their eye, right? Okay? Yes, I did. Yep, yep, yep. I'm sorry. Once you get this, in 39, in Job 39, going over to verse 13, it says this. He starts talking about, talking about the created order, and he starts talking about the animals that God created. He says, the wings, God talks and he says, the wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but are they pinions and plumage of love? <laughs> For she leaves her eggs to the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them and that the wild beast may trample them. She deals cruelly with her young as if they were not hers. Though her labor be in vain, yet she has no fear, because God has made her forget wisdom and given her no share in understanding. When she rouses herself to flee, she laughs at the horse and its rider. Now that is some poetic language to tell you. Just consider the ostrich. Have you ever been to a petting zoo before? What freakish animals are ostriches? And they are mean. There's a place in Pine Mountain. That they, it's, it's a jungle, it's a Jack Hanna, he owns this place in Georgia in which there's a wildlife refuge and you can drive through it. You pay some money and they have like zebras and water buffalo and ostriches and llamas and other things that will come to, and, and like regular buffalo, and they will come to your car and you can feed them outside your car. Now that sounds awesome. Until you take your own car through that. And you realize these animals have giant horns. And they're slobbering everywhere. And they swarm your car because they know that you have food. It's like dinner, okay? <laughs> we took our little boy through there when he was little. 
traumatized him. Because there's an ostrich coming in the back. I said, it is here. He was like, no! No! We're like, we're awful parents and our car has ostrich packs in it. Like, how do you explain that to people? That is a weird animal. It's a giant bird with long legs and a huge neck and it's angry all the time. And he mentions the ostrich, one of God's many weird creations, much like the duck-billed platypus, a thing that shouldn't be, but is. You wonder if that happened after the fall. I mean, uh, spare parts of other animals, like uh, platypus, that's right. That's basically beaks laying around here. Okay? You got this ostrich. He said, were you there when God taught the ostrich to lay its head on the ground and leave? Did you see the ostrich egg? They ain't joking. That's a big bird, right? If it came out with the legs, I mean, that'd be so good. Boom, it's big. And it, and it lays its head on the ground. He said, he's kind of laughing and said, would, would you have thought about letting this giant bird lay its eggs on the ground? And how silly that is? Oh. Did you figure that one out, Joe? And it's meant to be, I think it's meant to be lighthearted. I don't know if Joe's taking it that way. Because you know, because all the other animals you're talking about are pretty, you know, pretty standard. Think about the ostrich. Okay. How many of you have thought about ostrich? Now you have, like, right, right now, dude. And he goes on, he says this in verse, uh, let's see. You go over here, verse 39. Chapter 39, it says this. You give the horse his might. Then there's the ostrich talking about the horse. At this point, when this was written, the horse was not a domesticated animal farming. The horse was only So we see that you give the horse his might, you make him leap like the locust. His majestic snorting is terrifying. He paws in the valley and exults in strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. So think about the war horses. And he goes on, he laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. Upon him rattles the quiver, the flashing spear and the javelin. With fierceness and rage, he swallows the ground. He cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, he says, aha, he smells the battle from afar. And the thunder of the captains and the shouting. And he talks about war horses and how they're uniquely strong and big and they were used in these battles. He says, Joe, can you figure out who gave the horse like that its strength? If you've ever looked at a horse and really thought about it, look how big and muscular those things are. If you ever seen a Clydesdale, by the way, those things will dwarf you. And they got bell bottoms on. Think about, think about these things. He's talking about, were you there, Joe? Do you understand how these instincts were put into these animals and how their fight was formed? Do you get and understand this? Because God made them all. And in, in chapter 40, you hear the end of, of God's first speech. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? Do you remember something? The beginning of Job's first encounter with the problem. The Bible is very clear that Job did not sin in any way. But that portion ended at some, he got into the dark night of waiting between how he's been broken and how he's going to be healed. And then that time, sometimes in dark times, you questioning God. You wonder, God, what are you doing? And apparently Job had gone too far in thinking 
that God, as if Job had done this more, God was just against him. He failed to see, not as poorly as his co-patriots, but he failed to see that God was for him and that God was not against him, but that God was in control but loving in the situation. He couldn't see that. And so that's why God confronts me. He says, Job, do you understand any of these things? Do you understand the trade order? Do you understand the stars? Do you understand the weather? Were you there? Did you come up with them? Did you think about the ostrich? Did you give it the instinct? Did you make a weird bird? Did you make this horse and give it instincts to give it this ability to run into battle? Did you do this, Job? And, and the Almighty Lord says in verse 40, Shall I fall finer, contend with Almighty? You're finding fault with me. Are you, do you really think you can argue with me is the question that God asks? He says, He who argues with God, let him answer. Job, if you got a beef, I'm right here. Let's talk. Verse in, in chapter 40, verse 3, Job answered the Lord and he said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer. Twice, but I will not, I will not proceed any more further. And that is a Hebrewism basically saying, I put my hand over my mouth because I have said too much. I need to be quiet now. You've been that place of your place to put your mouth. You said that one last thing. Everything's, co everything's kosher. You're in a situation. You say that one last thing that you shouldn't have said. And that foot just gets lodged in your mouth. <laughs> and the situation is exasperated to the point of pain now. There's going to be discord. And Job, when God asks him, what you got to say, fault finder? He looks up and he says, I am a small person. Comparison to God. This is one of the things that needs to be corrected about our view of God that comes out of suffering. I want you to know something, every one of us. We do not know it all. We don't know it all. There are things that happen that we don't understand why, and we probably never will. As Isaiah 55 says, the Lord God says in Isaiah 55, 9, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above yours. You do not know the things God knows. His intelligence is of incredible infinite. It's so much more than you can comprehend. There is something going on that you don't understand. That was the case of Job, and he, that's the reason he started questioning him. Job, do you get why the hell the earth was made? Do you understand all these physical properties? Are you wise enough to come up with a way that the sun and moon and stars and the sky, do you understand how they were made? Do you understand the instincts I put in these animals and that I have the creativity? Do you understand everything? And Job was acting like he did, and we do, don't we? God, why would you do this? That's not how I think things should work. That's exactly, that's not how I think things should work. This is not how my life should be. I want you to know something, just to make it clear. God knows more than you. Me. 
We also see his character and his heart in this. We see it all over the and we see it all over the New Testament too. We see it here. God knew about Job, and he cared enough about Job to speak to him. But he did he loved Job enough to tell him the truth. The truth is this, Job, you have no right to talk that way to me. God is of infinite greatness and knowledge. So whatever has come into your life, he knows better than you do. He knows better than you. He knows better than me. Why? You may never know. But know this, he knows better. He is So what Job says, I have said one puts his hand over his mouth and says, I'm quiet now. I'm here to listen. My wife's an elementary school teacher. The first time I ever saw her teach, she was teaching kindergarten. And I'll tell you what, it just takes a special type to teach kindergarten. If you're a teacher in here, you're awesome, okay? Because I walked in the room, and they were being kind of noisy, and she just gets up, she's like, someone's being noisy, and they start clapping their hands while doing this, and Indian style shit, and, and covering their mouth up. I was like, how are you doing this? She's singing and twirling around and doing things. That's and they're like, they were like, oh, let's do that too, okay? I worked with teenagers all my life, except if I did that, it'd be like, brick, okay? I mean, that's what it would be like. And when they put their hands over their mouth when they're doing that, or maybe put the finger like that over their mouth, their index finger, what does it mean? Be quiet. But what is she doing? This is an international symbol, uh, international symbol that translates across cultures. They don't your kids. They're saying something embarrassing. Or rude. Pointed to the... Quiet. What does he say? I have said too much. I have been talking and telling an infinite God but I think I gotta shut my mouth. I do not say this to you lightly. I realize that that's a hard truth to understand. I realize that when you're hurting, that probably chats you. With me. But it's even worse than this lie. When you get to this point, you just don't understand why. right to be mad at God. What gives us the right? It's clear. If we get anything good, it is all a gracious, gracious. God is not like you. God is not your buddy. Yes, you have a relationship with him, but he's not somebody to be trifled with. You have to realize this is God. 
And sometimes the best thing you can do and the most faith you can have is just to fall on your knees and put your hand over your mouth and your severe pain and just say, you know, you know, I don't. I don't understand it. My heart's broken. I am angry, but I bow to you. Knowing this, healing is coming. But holding on to falsehood is not healing. The first step to healing is embracing Jesus. And then after that, God goes on. I think probably after the first speech, I'd be like, good, let's just handle this. Let's not talk anymore. I'm going to bow down, and you're, just, you're God, okay? But God doesn't finish. He doesn't stop there. He goes on. And we see in, in Job 40, he goes on. It says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, it's repeating itself. He's still speaking out of the whirlwind. God is still talking. And then we got this. Dress for action like a man. I will question you and make it known to you. It's still tough. Will you put me in the wrong, Joe? Are you saying I'm wrong, Joe? Will you condemn me for what you may be in the that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? I'm saying. You want to go to the young show? You got an arm like me, Joe? You want to arm wrestle? You think you're bad? You think you know? You think you got strength? You want to call me into account? Are you strong enough, Joe? So not only he questions Job's knowledge, and he questions Job's power. And how, one of, how, how many of us are driven crazy by the fact that we can't control everything? That is one of the reasons we get so angry. When things happen that we don't account for, don't plan for, that is not my plan. I am chief of this. Running late makes me physically mad. I mean, I want to punch something when I'm, I punch, okay, punch something when I am late. I'm just like, late, okay? Don't like being late. Not my plan. Not the way I plan things to go. It's not the way I want them to go down. It's not how I thought my life was going to be. It's not how I thought this was going to work out. It's not like this. It's not like that. It's not my plan, God. It's not my plan, God. It's not my plan, God. How much power do you have? Or do you think we have? So Job questions, for God questions Job's knowledge, and he questions Job's ability and power. And he does this by talking about very odd animals again. We go down, this is in Job 40, uh, he goes down and he talks about uh, Job 40 verse 15, he talks about the behemoth. Job 40 15. Behold behemoth, which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold his strength in his voice and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar, the sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze, his limbs like bars of iron. He is the fine first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. For the mountains yield food for him, where all the wild beasts play. Under the lotus plants he lies, in the shelter of the reeds and in the marsh. For his shade, the lotus tree covers him. The willows of the brook surround him. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. He is confident. 
through Jordan rushes, though Jordan rushes against his mouth, can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? Now that sounds like a big, gnarly animal. There has been debate. This word bohemian, we don't know what it means. But judging by the geography of where Job is writing, and judging by kind of some extra biblical text, we can come to a guess at what this is. And it is most likely a hippopotamus. Now, most of us, when we think of a hippopotamus, you don't think of something frightening. You just think, doo -doo, doo -doo, doo -doo. okay? That's the, that's the noise I hear in my head. I think hungry, hungry hippos. You know, I think they just attack marbles. You hear a little clapper. That's what we think of. I YouTube hippopotamus. I did some research. There was a, there's a ton of videos of hippopotamus, hippopotami, hippopotamus, I don't know. Look that up. They were, it was attacked. It attacked boats. They're as big as the boats. The average hippopotamus weighs between 45,000 pounds. This is 9,000. It also weighs. White versus a hippopotamus right now. A guy Mitch, but I don't like his chances of getting hit against the hippopotamus. Just, can you control this giant animal? And then he goes on in verse 41 and he talks about something. Can you draw out a Leviathan with a fish hook? Eat this Leviathan. We know less about this creature than we do a lot of other ones. There's been some wild speculation of what a Leviathan is. Commentator by commentator. I think probably the best case scenario is it's described in the water, it's described in reptilian aspects, and it's described in gnarly terms. Okay, it's just a poetic license to talk about how fierce and nasty this thing is. It's probably a crocodile. Probably. No way of knowing for sure, but just want you to know that. I want you to think about this. I've some research. There is a the largest, largest crocodile that we know of, that we've had evidence of, is named Lolong. Right? This thing is 20, 20 feet 3 inches long. Weighs nearly 2,000 pounds. Very large than that bad one. I mean, if you see next to people, it's big one. And the idea is this. You create this thing, these most powerful things, that, that these, these great, huge things are made. Do you have the power to control any of them? And that's where he kind of ends up at the end. Of, he gets in Job 42, and then he says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours is thwarted. You can stop. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Job is under the recognition that he doesn't know it all, and that he's not all powerful, and he has to come in contact with God to understand that, and we all do, and so when we're coming through suffering, part of the way we need to go through mending is we realize we need to have our 
God's not like us. His knowledge far surpasses us, and his power far surpasses us. So everything that happens is by his hand and under his control. And we got to know this, that we have the knowledge to understand why. We do have the knowledge to understand his heart, that he will not leave his people. He doesn't leave Job, he speaks to him. I want you to get that. The first step towards being really, truly missed is knowing God as he is. Not the God that we want to make up. Because we all try to make God in our own likeness and our own image. You know that, right? You've heard it in a conversation with people. My God, I would not do that. My God, I would not do this. My God, I would not do that. How about the God as he revealed himself? What would he do? That's the major thing, right? If we believe that the only way we can know about God truly and holy is which makes complete kind of sense. Otherwise, we're just kind of putting our finger there and saying, I think God's like this. We're like Oprah. Yep, that's how I feel God is. Basically, you have nothing to base it on. If we are people of the Bible, and rightfully so are people of the Bible, we have to understand that we have to have our understanding of God tweaked by the Word of God daily, secondly, monthly. We have to have it tweaked all the time, and sometimes the most fertile ground for us to have our view of God changed is suffering. Because I can tell you, and I know some of you have been through so much more suffering than I have, and I just, I'm so sorry that you have, but I know through my own pain and suffering, I know what God has been doing. It was more than I could ever understand. I see it now in part, but I know even in the things that I don't understand, I know he's bigger, he's stronger, he's more powerful than I am. So I come to a place, you can do all things. You can do all things. And that is what the Lord wants you to do. He wants you to come to him in faith. And part of that is saying, all of my life is yours. Joy, sorrow, the happiness, the love. Nothing happens outside of his will. And I'm going to trust Have ever thought that God would come to earth and that the way you would have thought that the sin problem would be taken care of? When he comes to earth and he would be rejected, not written, not, not seen as a king. He'd be rejected by everyone. And he'd be crucified. And God's son would be subjugated to such torment and pain. Would you have thought that would be the case? Was that the way you would have come up with a way to save the world? Probably none of us would have thought of that. But God in his infinite wisdom found a way that he could uphold his justice and make people righteous. And it was through his son, his own self-sacrifice, the one who we rebelled against, he sacrificed for us so that we might have life. Do you get that? That is something we would never fathom, but it's far greater than we can imagine. But if we are left to our own strength and our own power, we will never, ever see God as we ought and we'll never walk in faith like we should. Job says, God, Job says, God, you, you are too wonderful for me. I'm small. I don't know. I'm not in control. And then in verse 5, in Job's response, he says this. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see. 
Therefore, I despise myself and repent the ashes. There's exhilaration. suffering it's a fertile ground for us to have our view about God corrected. We see him as much more holy than we are, much more knowledgeable than us, much more, much more powerful than we are. We have to trust in that. We can see that. But not only that, here's the view. Did God owe Job a visitation? God has blessed Job beyond measure. And Job did, apparently, somewhere down the line, obviously he had to repent, somewhere down in between turn, somewhere down the line, he repented and thinking poorly about God, especially God's motives. Now, think about all the things that Job has been given. Nobody right there? But here is this beauty. Here's this beauty. He speaks. Job says, I had heard of you. I had heard about you. By the hearing of my ear, but now I see. Even here in the crucible of pain and suffering, we have our minds corrected by Scripture and by God to see who He is. But that doesn't just stay an intellectual idea, it is an experience. What does that look like? Looks like this. Now that you've been through that, now he's seen God. Now he's walked with God. Now he has not only heard what God is like, and he understands what God is like, he has experienced and seen what God is like. And now Job and God, he sees God more clearly. And what is the chief end of man? What were we made for? What did Packer say? We were made to know God. So there is none, if we were made to know God, and that's the highest pleasure and the highest joy, how much would you give up for the highest joy? Would you endure suffering for a time if that means you got to know God? Could you? Would that make the, the suffering and your pain a little bit more bearable that God is working to correct your understanding of who he is, and he's working to show you who he is? He is, he is with you in those trials. He is walking with you. That is how you that is how your theology, your understanding of God, becomes your experience with God. It's through you walking by faith and experiencing the truth of those promises that He did not leave you forsake you. That He was with you, that, that your God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. That He was with you. Because Job is going to be mended. It's coming. His forces are restored, restored and then some. But before that happens, the road to being mended starts with a direct view of God and the person who's walking with him. I want to know something. I have learned way more about, I've actually, I've gotten to know God much better in my dark times than I ever had in my political times. Because I have seen his hand of salvation. I've seen, I can say with the psalmist now, you heard my cry when I called to you. How many of us who walk in the Lord can say that? I know him better now because of what I went through. He afflicted me, but it was for my goodness because now I know him. And then when the affliction gets done, how many times when a problem arises after you've been through 
if I made it through that by faith, I could make it through this by faith. That ain't nothing. You say, Mount, that's, that's when you're saying, Mount, move. And that mustard seed faith is like, that mountain's moving, bro. That is the difference. See, I want you to know something. You can know God. God helps us to know him better through our trials. Because it's in those times we experience those truths that we see so clear in Scripture, they become real in our lives. And we cry out, and our hearts beat, and they, they melt in anguish, but we can call to Him, and, and we know He's there because we've been through those things we've been through, and we know He's walking with us. You want to know this. Every bit of pain, suffering you experience, is not wasted, and it will be worth it, if it leads you to know God better. That's what you were created to do. Not just those facts. Those are important. You can't, don't understand them rightly. You can't understand Him. But the facts they lead to life. That. That is when you know God. That is when you go to knowledge. What's the next step? Some of you, this has been right in your wheelhouse for, for you, you need to hear this from God's word these last several weeks. You need to realize that pain and suffering, if you're far from God and you're not trusting Him, it's an alarm, smoke alarm, telling you there's judgment coming. You need to turn you need to trust Christ. If you want to know more about that? We're going to be out, me, myself, Tom, Kevin. Anybody else you want to grab here, one of our deacons, we would be glad to talk to you about what it means to know Christ after the service is over. Secondly, there's some of you in here that you just need somebody to pray for you. in a tough time. I want to open that up to you as well. I invite you to give whatever is walking that time between the healing, whatever you the bitterness you're hanging on to, to the day you're hanging on to. If it's whatever it is, I want you to have to pray that you bring it to the Lord and God do it. I walk with faith, knowing I don't know it all, and I'm not out to know. We need to respond. So after the service is over, please come and find one of the elders that will pray with you, grab someone to pray with you. Don't let this fall on deaf ears. We have to do it every time we do it. Let's pray. Father.
ask our ushers to come forward at this time. We're going to receive our offering. And as we do that, um, I have uh, one, I have two quick announcements for you. The first one is this. Uh, this Saturday, we will be having out at Rhonda and Mike's place at 5 o'clock, we'll be having a chili cook-off and a hayride. You were invited, and you were invited to invite other people. Here's what we need you to bring, okay? If you want to sign up for the chili cook-off, we need chili. So see Rhonda. She's right over here, okay? See Rhonda if you want to bring chili, okay? Which is, yeah, it's going to be fantastic. If you want to go there. Uh, you don't have to bring your own hay. They'll provide the hay, okay? Um, <laughs> secondly, I want you to know this. We also need toppings. So, like, you know, whatever you want to bring, like chips or cheese or onions. So if you come, that is your way to come. But either bring chili or bring all those toppings. If you can't afford any of that, just come anyway, okay? We love you. So come on and show up for that. It's at their place, which is 523 Hawkins Bridge. That's not even right. 
But I want you to know something. First off, you teach it from the scripture. Scripture can always inform you. Secondly, maybe you're not here for you to get something out of it. Because you realize the church is not about us. Maybe you're here to connect with these other people who is struggling. You can walk with them through life. And you can disciple them through those tough times. Maybe that's it. So, you're part of the company. You're invited to come to this. I strongly encourage you. I'm going to keep yelling about this for the next little bit. Okay, come to this, all right? Sign up this week. Finally, some of you single people are feeling, I feel left out. Oh, no, no, no. You probably don't want to come to the marriage conference. But, if you want to help, we got places for you to help. So come see me about that. Secondly, don't forget, we've got a men and women's conference coming up at the end. Have I done that enough? I, I'm pumped about this. I'm excited about this. I hope you are. Let's stand. That was a slow stand. I'm sorry. It was, it was been a long week, okay? Everybody else was like, Ugh. Are you guys all doing a P90X out there? Is that what happened? I can't move. All right. Let's pray in the name of Jesus. Jesus, we love you. We bless your name. We thank you that in our darkest times that we know that you can sympathize with us because you are a compassionate high priest who suffered greatly but wrongly because you did not do anything wrong. But you provide for us knowledge of God and righteousness. So God, let us walk in that in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.